This is the best of daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson from Believer's Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. Go to jfbelievers.com for more information. We are today continuing in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, where Jesus, speaking to his apostles, had been telling them some pretty serious stuff concerning what lay ahead in this Christian walk, especially in that of a disciple. And in verse 7, where we're picking it up, he goes on saying, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the counselor won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. About sin because they don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you won't see me anymore. And about judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. Let's face it, gang. It's easy for us to doubt in times of crisis and in times of pain. We know innately that we can depend on our Savior, and we know He has never denied us or lied to us. And yet, now Jesus, in an awesome display of patient grace, you know, as He has done in other times also, speaks here words of comfort, saying, I tell you the truth. Now, I have to tell you, it's a sad thing that He has to remind us of that fact. Most of the time, we're a sad lot, aren't we? And yes, misery does love company. I take a perverse comfort in knowing that when it comes to doubting, I am in the company of the original 12 apostles themselves. Now, that certainly isn't a way to excuse my doubting because it's a sin, plain and simple, but I appreciate the grace, thank you. It seemed incredulous to the apostles, as it would no doubt for us today, that it would actually be to their advantage, as well as ours, that Jesus would go away. I guess that defied logic. Yet how often does God do things that doesn't make sense to us? Jesus knew that in the earthly realm, the Holy Spirit could do and would do more than he ever could do in a human body. Because the body of Jesus was only in one place and interacting on a finite basis. But the Holy Spirit, God in spirit form, could be and would be everywhere at once, capable of interacting and empowering everyone who was willing. Perhaps that's what Jesus meant when he said, greater works that you will do than even I, in John 14, 12. The Holy Spirit would indeed empower them, give them courage, teach them, and make Christ more real to them than he had ever been before when he walked upon the earth. We know the Holy Spirit convicts individuals of sin, but you know, this passage goes beyond that. It says the Holy Spirit convicts the world. How is that possible? Well, by just simply being here. Because had Christ been received as the Messiah King, things certainly would have been different. So today, the Holy Spirit exists among us. It is he who brings the understanding of man's sin and his guilt, his mortality, even the coming judgment of each of us as well as the mankind as a whole. You see, man refused Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit's presence exists as a witness 
to their crime. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a convicting and convincing ministry. He convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then, through the word of God and preaching, he convicts men of their sin. Thus, whether I like it or not, and generally I do not, my job, at least in part, filled with the Holy Spirit, is to convict men of their sins through preaching. That, I have found, can be a very unpleasant situation for me because I can't figure out a way to do that without creating pain. Such often does not make me a popular guy. And if you receive my words, well, I am received as a blessed friend. But if you reject them, I most often become your enemy. Verse 12 of our text says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. The Holy Spirit came to, quote, reprove the world of sin, end quote. Now, the word reprove carries the idea of gathering evidence to either clear one or to support one's legal argument. He either validates our redemption or confirms our guilty standing. Now, in the case of the Holy Spirit's conviction or convincing, if you will, the sinner is clearly persuaded of the fact of sin. There is the awakening that sin will take you further than you want to go and cost you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. At that moment, you will stand at the crossroads of your life. You will believe and salvation plus blessing becomes yours or you will reject and you will go down a road of lies and denial and division and of course pain. Receive, and we are humbled before the glorious Redeemer. Reject, and pride becomes our controller, quite frankly, often blinding us for the rest of our lives. Now, Jesus says that he had so much more he could tell them, but their heads were no doubt swimming at this point. God was always careful, it seemed, to present himself and present his master plan in what I would call a linear methodology. And he did that so that one, our heads wouldn't explode, but two, so that man would ultimately come to the full understanding of not only our sinful state, but of our utter inability to get out of that state on our own. This is why God dealt with mankind differently in different dispensations, different periods of God's communication and different interactions with mankind. Each of those dispensations connected to the one before it and to the one after it, and they all were designed to lead us, again in that linear fashion, to a full acknowledgement that we are utterly and hopeless and helpless. That plan cultivated in Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, the answer to our plight. Paul understood this. He spoke throughout Romans 7 of our desperate situation only to end that chapter with, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 13 goes on saying, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, 
He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you things that are coming. He will glorify me, for he will take from what is mine and will declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will declare it to you. Now, Jesus, back in verse 7 of this book, this chapter says, I will send him to you. Wow. I mean, only a God could do that, right? The I am says, I will. Not a maybe. No if, ands, or buts. Just, I will. That spirit of truth will guide us into the truth. Thus, when we stand in the fullness of the Spirit of God, we know the truth. That's how even a new believer can so often smell a rat when confronted with false doctrine. John 8.32 tells us, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, quote-unquote. So when we reject the Holy Spirit, as we often do, we then stand outside of the truth, and we are not free, and we do not have the truth. What we have in its place is simply pride and confusion. He, that is the Holy Spirit, as well as we who are filled with that Spirit, all glorify God because of his presence. And and get this, all that God has belongs to Christ, and all that Christ has, the Holy Spirit, that is, declares them to us. Do you get that? The Holy Spirit declares to us God and the things of God, but once again, then no Holy Spirit and no truth. Jesus had been warning his apostles concerning the trials that would be coming. Both the persecutions from outside the religious world, as well as the persecutions that would come from within the religious establishment. Yet when the Lord was speaking, he was telling these anguished apostles to not be troubled. Wow, that's some irony. The one who's was soon going to face death by crucifixion, was not seeking to be crucified. Rather, he was comforting others. What what an unselfish redeemer. Now, these troubled men, they were having little thought concerning Jesus. Jesus, however, was more concerned in comforting others than comforting himself. Everything was centered upon comforting these apostles. It was for that reason that we are told that the Comforter was sent. The Holy Spirit came as their and our Comforter. It was nearly time now for what I call the crescendo of Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, three years had gone by so quickly. It probably seemed just like yesterday that the curtain was raised and John the Baptist uttered those Immortal words, Behold the Lamb of God. The men who sat before Christ that day had surrendered themselves and their lives for the kingdom of God. You see, theirs was not a part-time faith, but rather it was everything to them. While there may have been many questions about life which arose in their hearts, they knew one thing for sure, just as we should, and that is that there will be those who call themselves Christians. And if that is the case, Christ and faith must come first. All of life's decisions and directions 
were to be filled with that mantra, seek first the kingdom of God. It seems they understood something that we can't seem to get to our heads, and that is, all the rest will be added, all the rest will be taken care of. They had received the call to follow Jesus, and then they received the call to serve Jesus. As we said previously, Jesus made no attempt to soft-pedal the cost or the high standard. Despite the good that was done and the glory that was given the kingdom of God through these men's lives, it didn't matter to the Pharisees who attacked them. And you know what? Such facts matter a little to the modern Pharisees that are out there attacking us today. That was our daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson. To learn more about Tim Dodson or Believer's Church, visit jfbelievers.com.